Hi, I'm Liz Solar. Welcome to Embark, where we navigate to what's next. And that, my friend, means change. In the summer of 2020, we have had a national reckoning with systemic racism sparked by the death of George Floyd. There's overwhelming support, about 75% of our country, for Black Lives Matter and other social justice organizations. Back in June, a new book by E. Dolores Johnson was published. Back in June, a new book by E. Dolores Johnson was published, Say I'm Dead, a family memoir of race, secrets, and love, tells the story of how Johnson's black father and white mother fled Indiana in the 1940s to escape that state's then-punishing laws against interracial marriage. In the first part of our conversation, Johnson told us about growing up in an interracial family, being black in America, and ways we can try to bridge the racial divide. Today, in the second part of our conversation, Dolores talks about writing memoir and publishing in the time of COVID-19. Find out more about her story at edoloresjohnson.com. Dolores, how and when did you just... Hi, Dolores. When and how did you decide you wanted to write this story as memoir? I began... um my uh, writing attempts um, after I concluded my corporate career. And having written so much um, material as an executive, I sat down and just wrote this in the same manner that I had always written my um, my work material, which is everything is due yesterday and it's got to be, you know, tight and not verbose. I gave it to a writing teacher who gave it back to me and said, you know, what you have here is not a story. It's a business report. (laughs) So (laughs) you need to learn how to write creative writing because you don't know anything about it. So I initially took classes uh, in novel writing, but I didn't want to exaggerate the characters in the way that fiction usually demands that you do because I wanted to tell the truth and I didn't want to offend my family, and I switched to memoir because I thought that was the best way to tell the story. Were there any relatives or other people close to you or your mother who discouraged you not to write the book or were kind of uh, oppositional to it? Well, uh, my mom and I talked about the material in this book for years, and she knew I was going to try to write it, and we had been over all the emotional ground in prior discussions when I started writing. But the one person who I was quite concerned about was someone I grew up with in a club that my mom and some lady friends had started called the Quick Club, and that was a group of white women in Buffalo that were all married to black men. Most of the women were Italian women married to black jazz men, and they were all Catholics. My mother met them. Uh, by taking my oldest brother to enroll in first grade at the Catholic school where she ran into another white woman with a brown child. Um, And so one of the members of that club led a double life. She was married to a black man, but she told her family back in Ohio that she had a very hectic job in, uh, in Buffalo and she you know, needed to stay in Buffalo, but she would come home for visits. And she often went back to Ohio 
for Easter and birthday parties and Fourth of July cookouts and the like, always um, hiding the fact that she had a black husband and three black children who were much darker than my brothers and I, by the way. Mm. So I went and talked to that family about including their story in the book because I wanted to show the extremes that people had to go to in order to marry across the race line back when they did in the 40s. The daughter of that family, who's my age, was very reluctant. And um, she didn't really want that story told. But she had two older brothers who said that they thought I should write it. And they voted. And, of course, the brothers prevailed. So the story went in. And um, since the book has come out, that woman has called me and praised the book to high heaven mm. and said she's so glad that I wrote it. So she was not offended, even though at first it was touch and go. And, and this woman, this woman's mother, went to the grave with that secret. She did. When she uh, became ill at the end of her life, she was living in her daughter's house. And the people in Ohio were worried about her, and they wanted her to come move home so they could take care of her. And so she invented this story that she was going to get a caretaker to live in with her. That was her own daughter in her own house who had to answer the phone as if she was a caretaker passing information back and forth. And uh, this woman called her three kids together and she said, I know that I don't have long left. What I want you to do, these are my final wishes, is send my body back to Ohio and let me be buried with my white family in my maiden name, and you are not to come to the funeral. I don't want the secret exposed. And then she took it to the grave. That takes my breath away. Just some of the uh, um, emotional hurdles, as well as the literary ones that you had to go through. I mean, this was this woman's own emotional hurdles, but what, what did you encounter as you were writing the book and investigating your family's background? What, what type of emotions came up for you? I cried a lot over the keyboard. I'll confess that up front. Because even though I had come to terms with m much of what happened in my family, there's layers to that. And when you're writing and you want to channel other people's feelings and actions, try to understand them and portray them truthfully, empathetically, um, you have to dig so very deep. You really have to isolate to write that deeply. And so um, there was a lot of uh, clenching in my stomach. There were times when I was angry, times that I had to come to terms with forgiveness. It was a very emotional ride to write Sam Dead. We all tell stories about our lives, whether they are published or not. And, you know, we tell those from our own point of view and perhaps where we are in life. And I think that changes. You also had two brothers. How do you think either one of them would have written this memoir or told the story if they had a chance? I had two older brothers, David and Charles Mason, who were quite different. I would explain their personalities as fight versus flight. David was um, 
a black militant. He wore dashikis all the time. He chaired the Juneteenth Festival decades ago before it even became known as a thing in uh, broadly in America. And um, he was very outspoken. He spent his life in service to inner-city kids as a sixth-grade teacher, and he cared about those children deeply. And so, you know, he was a, a person who would stand up and speak about racism and American history and really invest in the success of inner-city children, even with those who had no resources. Whereas my oldest brother... Uh, we suspected at times passed for white. He was the whitest looking among us. He married a white woman. They lived on the white side of town. It wasn't that we didn't see him, but it seemed that he never volunteered his racial history. And when he died, the only black people at his funeral was my daughter and I and uh, a, a couple of other black people that I asked to come. And so I don't think my oldest brother would have written anything because he was a person who wanted to stay out of the fray. As he once told me, I just want people to leave me alone. Mm. Uh, David would have probably written um, a, a different memoir, which was uh, the glowing history of uh, inner-city black people. So you all had very different experiences, which sounds on par with what most of us go through in our families, no matter what the configuration is. Uh, you you did not have this is what this will blow a lot of people's minds. You didn't have a lot of information to work with to find your mother's family. Tell us how you tracked them down. Well, first of all, let me say that once I did the genealogy on my father's side, and I was in my thirties, it wasn't until I looked at that chart of generations of black people that I actually had a light bulb go off that my mother was my white family all by herself. She had nobody else on that genealogy chart. And that wasn't right. She had to be from somebody somewhere. And I went home to uh, talk to my family about that. And when I said to them over dinner that Mama's white family was missing, so we still didn't know what our genealogy was, everybody was very upset with me because it was something that was never spoken of at home. And my mother was visibly shaken at the idea of me even voicing that. After a long, anguished weekend of um, truth-telling, my mom finally told us that her family was in, in Indianapolis, Indiana, which we had never heard of, and some of the circumstances of her fleeing that state's racism in order to marry my dad because there had been a lynching of two men. There was um, a city council full of openly affiliated Klan members, and there was a state law that said if you intermarried, you were subject to go to prison for seven years at hard labor, the man and the woman. And so she had fled Indiana, and her family didn't know where she was. She had been missing for 36 years when I went home and asked about this. And so, no, I had no information to start looking for her family. That is a tremendous undertaking. And Dolores, I know that you were up for the challenge. Where and how did you proceed from there? First, I had to gain her agreement to go because my mom and I were extremely close. 
and I wasn't going to undertake the unearthing of her secret and turning over the life she had chosen for almost four decades without her agreement. When I made my case to her over and over, but I finally said, look, what about if I went to Indianapolis to look for these people, but I didn't involve you at all, so you don't have to speak to them. She said, I'm so guilt-ridden about the pain they must have gone through, the fact that I disappeared without a word for all this time, the pain they must have gone through, I could never face them. So I said, if I find them, what am I supposed to say about you? And she told me, say I'm dead. And that's the title of the book. But to answer your question directly, she and my dad gave me enough information, and I took this night class at a community college, which uh, was on how to trace your family history. And this was at a time before the Internet and before Ancestry.com or any of these solutions that we have today. So I took a week off from work and went to Indiana, and it was all shoe leather and paper and pencil work to try and find her family. I searched um, vital records. I searched um, city directories. I made phone calls to people in the county whose names were a possible match. I read all, all the marriage licenses for 10 years to try and find my aunt uh, and had nothing except my grandfather's uh, death certificate. My mom told me to look for dad and memorize his face when I found him. She wanted to know everything. She just loved her dad, and I think she was his favorite. And the, one of the first things I discovered in my search in Indianapolis is that he had already been dead 30 years. Mm-hmm. But it was the church that actually gave me the connection. How did that happen? I'd been trying to reach the parish where I know her family worshipped, thinking that there'd be birth and death and marriage and baptism records that Uh, might give me um, a lead. And I couldn't find the priest. I couldn't get any information. I left numerous messages. And as I was leaving Indianapolis with just that death certificate of my grandfather and the assumption that the grandmother had also died because there was very poor record-keeping back in those days, um, I called the priest from the airport in a phone booth, if anybody remembers phone (laughs) booths. And he gave me... He said, I found, uh, I found um, your aunt's marriage record. She was married here at the church. She married a GI during World War II in California. So I'm thinking, how am I supposed to find somebody in California now? But I looked in the directory. That's when we had paper directories hanging off chains in phone booths. Mm-hmm. And there was the man's name. And that was the connection that helped me find that family. So without the benefit of the internet and Ancestry.com and all these other electronic ways that we have to dig up information instantly, it really took some time. How many, how many, the span of months or years did it take you to finally track down your family? Well, after I had taken that course and I had gotten enough information from my parents to know what I was looking for, I went out there and it was in the course of that week that I actually made the connection to the priest and got the name of my aunt's husband. Amazing. I wanted to switch gears a little bit about publishing during COVID because there's not enough problems in the publishing field as it is. We have to have a pandemic in the middle of it. Um, 
you spent a little bit of time writing this memoir. And by late last year, <laughs> you know, for total transparency, um, Dolores and I were in the same writing group. And so we, we know each other's skeletons in the closets and how long it actually takes to write a book. By late last year, you knew that this book would be published in June of this year. And then COVID happened. And how did that affect the way you marketed your book? As a um, debut author, I had to learn so much about what was involved in publishing. And one of the biggest lessons was how much I had to bring to the table in order to get the bookings that would get the word out on Say I'm Dead. And so I spent an enormous amount of time trying to arrange book talks and appearances. And I had a very nice calendar lined up by springtime uh, when COVID hit. And my appearances were canceled one after the other. And there was a day when I sat in my bed and cried that nobody would ever hear of this book. So you were able to pivot and find a way to market virtually because obviously you're here and we're talking about your book. I didn't know anything about virtual presentations. And they were so fledgling at that moment back in March and April that um, I had to learn the technology and the buzzwords and the approach and start over notifying places that I was available for virtual presentations. It was really a huge flip because I had to uh, buy a special um, vlogging equipment. Um, I had to uh, learn techniques of being interviewed, uh, learning the, the tricks of uh, what those kinds of interviews involve, and then getting those bookings. I was exhausted putting the program together. And so when the book was ready to launch, three weeks ahead of time, I started uh, promoting the book, and I had so many interviews and appearances for about seven weeks solid that I was com completely exhausted. So it turned around and um, I found that people were being very innovative. So it was quite, quite a, a big flip where my disappointment has turned into success. If there can be an upside about this time, what is the upside of marketing your book during COVID and, you know, being on Zoom calls, because that's how you launched your book. Right. Um, so surprisingly for me, when I started this, the online audiences are much larger than in person. Originally, I had planned to do my initial launch um, at a bookstore, which could probably hold a maximum of 50 people. And when that same bookstore hosted me, for um, an online presentation instead on Crowdcast, that's the platform that they use, I had 225 people in attendance. So actually, it has been very fortuitous to move to online. So it worked out very well. Fabulous. Is there anything that you would have done differently or you would do differently or anything you wish you could do now in promoting your book? And how would you position yourself better on social media? Well, I would uh, want people to look at my website where they can see that my other writing, which is on interracialism, race, and identity in America. 
and uh, get a taste of my book and see that I have an expertise in talking about um, broader societal issues. I've consulted with major corporations and universities on diversity, talked with uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies about diversity, and am, um, I think, quite educated in African-American history, reckoning that we have with race, with COVID, which has health disparities by um, racial differences, and um, what I would want to do differently or more, let's say, is to uh, connect with large book clubs and communities of people who are on Instagram who can help boost the word and get both my brand, if you will, and my book before a larger audience. So if someone has a book club or other type of virtual event, is it okay to get in touch with you? And how would they do that? Thank you. Yes, I'd love to do that. I'm welcoming inquiries through my website, which is www.edolores, with an O, edolores johnson, one word, .com, where there's a contacts page, and you can um, contact me there and be happy to work with you. That's E. Dolores Johnson, who writes on race, interracialism, and identity, and is author of the new book, Say I'm Dead, a family memoir of race, secrets, and love, published by Chicago Review Press. Dolores, thanks for being here today and continued success with the book. Special thanks to Michael Coleman for the audio assist. And if you have a story of change or innovation that you'd like to share, just get in touch at Liz at EmbarkThePodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Liz Solar for Embark. Thanks for listening.